More religious, less taxes. I think we can all drink to that. Welcome back to the Barnhart Podcast, and I am feeling lucky. Let's just let it roll on Clean Feed. Absolutely. I We finally, I think, got the Wi-Fi into 21st century standards, and it's uh, it's running screaming fast with very low latency, so I think this is going to work. <laughs> well, I hope so, and normally when I start the podcast, I start out by saying what day it is and what episode number it is, but after last time, I'm not going to say an episode number up front, and actually... I, st- I didn't give an episode number last time kind of as a joke and it turned out to work really well because we didn't we weren't able to do a normal episode we had to cut it super short even shorter than we were planning to but uh, just from the the pre-show banter it, it, there is much less latency it, it sounds a whole lot better I think we're gonna be able to to, to let it let it um, roll on the older recording system but I did find a, a possible solution that if we if we continue to have the same problems we had last time uh, I found out about a solution called, and it's, this is so appropriate given the running joke about where you are and, and how you move around. Uh, we're using a service right now called Clean Feed for recording the audio. The um, the competitor product is called Riverside. Uh, <laughs> we should try it at least once just so we can say that we did it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and the big, the big difference is that Clean Feed is recording everything on my side, which as long as there's a clean, stable signal, that's great. But um, the difference between that and Riverside is that it records both on my side and your side. And then when we're done, uh, it it uploads to a central server. Or actually, by default, it uploads while we're talking, uh, which is kind of what happens with CleanFeed. It records while we're talking. But there's also the ability that if you're on a weak connection, you can say defer uploading until we're all done. You risk losing everything at that point, but um, at least... You might get a much better. Uh, you might might get a much better recording. There, yeah. there could still be the problem where, like when you're talking about the rainbow and guillotine, I didn't know who, which which um, company you were talking about. Had we been using Riverside, we would have heard your audio perfectly clean. And then Super Nerd trying to figure out why didn't he hear this? So yeah, that, yeah there yeah. there could be those inconsistencies. But let's stick with Clean Feed, especially if it's working. Saint Tiny Princess help us out on that. And on the topic of patrons. Uh, we're actually recording this on the night of Tuesday, July 25th, but hey, it's after 9 p.m. It's liturgically the 26th, and happy feast day, Anne. Today is the feast of St. Anne. Yay! Kind of like your second birthday. <laughs> so festivities have already begun. Thank you very much, and thank you, St. Anne, for all of the for all of the patronage and assistance and prayers for me. She's been, she's been huge, and... Um, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I can't remember exactly when, but I posted the St. Anne Novena, very powerful. And St. Anne was, we did a St. Anne Novena when St. Tiny Princess was on earth. Yes, um, that's right. She's the one who helped and it was quick. She's the one who delivered the um, the sister servants who came in and um, helped you guys with um, with nursing St. Tiny Princess into into the end of her life. So that was yep. massive. Yep. That that was uh, that was that was a year of grace in many ways, but it was also a year of lost sleep and 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 um, many trials. But yes, we we prayed the Saint Anne Novena because we'd hit the point, my wife and I, where um, we were losing too much sleep uh, to the point that we we couldn't function almost during yeah. the day. I I say with no irony, I don't really remember July of that year. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I could look back at my notes from when I was still at that job where I was at there. I've, I've changed jobs a couple of times since, but um, I, I saw that I was in some meetings and apparently I said some things and made some decisions, but I don't remember them. It, yeah. it, I was so slap happy. Um, just sleep walking deprived, sleep yeah. deprived, like a, yeah. like a zombie. I mean, I, technically I might not have even been legal to drive, but um, got through that. Okay. But uh, no, the, this uh, group, the sister servants of Mary, their whole purpose is to help um, with, with, um, medical needs. And it's, it's for people typically at, well, at end of life is, is ideally, or, or, or what, where their main focus is people who have hospice care and, and need, um, 24 seven care, but the, the primary caregiver caregivers also need to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was exactly what, what we needed. And, um, I'm we, sure they love St. Tiny Princess too, because I'm sure that you know, generally with hospice, you think of the elderly, and they got to they got to come and snuggle with a baby. So yes, it was, yes. yeah, <laughs> yes. The 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 few nuns who 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 uh, helped out with that said she was an absolute joy. Um, and, and and talking about St. Tiny Princess, absolute joy. And and they said something that quite a few people did is that they just felt a a spiritual radiance coming off of her, mm-hmm. which is you know I heard that from a lot of people. I experienced it myself. It, it's it sounds hokey if you if you don't understand if you've never been in that situation, but there are certain souls that can just radiate grace. And in in terms of seeing somebody who is just a pure innocent soul, who to the world they're a wasted life. Uh, she only she lived less than a year. She had a severe genetic condition. She was never able to say a, a word. Uh, one of her eyes never didn't even work. And to the world, this would be a life with no purpose. But yet. She allowed so many people to to give of themselves and to experience um, a, a, just the, the ability to give to give charity. I've heard it said that when when you the biggest recipient or the biggest beneficiary when somebody gives charity is the person giving the charity themselves. Yes, that's above and beyond any spiritual blessings that come from it. And with regard to the sister servants of Mary, uh, that 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 is an example of an order of religious who dedicate their, their, their lives to a, uh, a corporal work of mercy. Mm-hmm. And long time ago when we had, uh, monks and nuns and lots of them all over the world, many of them were devoted to one of the either spiritual or corporal works of mercy. Yep. Obviously, you know about all the, uh, schools that the, that the Catholic church and different, uh, religious orders have done. That's a, the corporal work of education. Um, the hospitals, that's the corporal work of taking care of the sick. And let me let me put in a plug once again, because I've actually been dealing with this over the last um, several weeks. I've had another schizophrenic that's glommed onto me and has been, you know, just flooding my flooding my spam folder and um, uh, sent, sent an email. I keep an eye on them. I don't read them, but I keep an eye on them. And he, uh, he sent one where he was actively, explicitly threatening to kill the people that he lived with and to kill his neighbors. And um, really, really nice. I was able to get in contact with the family and local law enforcement. And um, it's just, it's the same story every time when it comes to the mentally ill. We've completely, totally dropped the ball on the mentally ill. It used to be one of the one of the corporal works of mercy for the church to have insane asylums and to help take care of the mentally ill. A lot of these people need to be institutionalized. And of course, one of the, the evil, evil, satanic, Luciferian angles in, in our society that's just collapsed over the last 50 years is you, you cannot get 
a mentally ill person um, basically institutionalized un until after they've gone on whatever killing spree they're going to go on. They can be threatening. They can be putting in writing, explicitly saying, I am going to murder this person, this person, this person, this person. And you tell the cops, you try to get in front of a judge, try to get them sectioned, try to get them institutionalized. They will not do it. They will not do it. They will not institutionalize these people. And it should be the church who's taking care of the mentally ill. So after whatever happens, happens, probably war, some sort of societal reset, certainly after if there's a reset in the church and, you know, our Lord doesn't return in glory and, and things keep going and there's some sort of a reset, that's going to have to be a very, very high priority for the church, not only just providing normal, normal health care again, um, but one of the top priorities is we're going to have to start building institutions and have orders or refound the orders or re-energize the orders that already exist, wherein their charism and their, you know, their, their reason for being is ministering and taking care of the mentally ill, because I don't need to tell you folks how many there are. It's only getting worse. All these people on marijuana. Marijuana is absolutely satanic. It was really interesting getting to talk to um, the family member of this particular person that I had to contact law enforcement and get in contact with the family and everything. And they just keep, keep saying this marijuana, that the person was bad, the schizophrenia was bad, but that weed just takes it to the next level. And of course, look what they've done. Um, is, is there anywhere now left in, in the U.S. where weed hasn't been legalized? And schizophrenics can just walk into a shop and buy some of the strongest marijuana that has ever been produced ever on this planet without, without even flinching. And it, it takes mental illness, especially schizophrenia, it just takes it to the next level. So all of this stuff about all these, these people who are using this stuff and trying to argue that, you know, marijuana is no big deal. Marijuana is so great. Marijuana is this. Marijuana is wonderful. This is, this is just, it's a Luciferian dynamic, truly. Just flee from anyone who has anything to do with marijuana, for heaven's sake. And on the topic of insane asylums and the spiritual dynamic or the spiritual corporate work, corp, the spiritual and corporal work of mercy and, and caring for people in that condition, it also reminds me that, in, especially today, a lot of people who would qualify for an insane asylum have actual spiritual needs. They need to be seen an exorcist. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. In, in, the, yep. in, in the cloistered environment of an insane asylum run by a monastery, you could have very discreetly. Um, father exorcist or a friar exorcist come around and, and, and visit people, make sure that they're not manifesting something that's not just um, medical. But it reminds me of an exchange I had with somebody today, uh, a friend of mine, he's not Catholic, but he, he um, is visiting his, his in-laws out on the East Coast. And, it, and he said apparently his brother-in-law is seeing a shrink and has got him on, on some kind of really strong medication, some psychotropics, I believe, who's turned him into a complete fruitcake. And we were discussing the whole dynamic of, of shrinks and I said, it's a point of meditation and prayer that humans are a binary creature. We're body and soul. What happens to the soul affects the body, sin. What mm -hmm. happens to the soul affects, or what happens to the body affects the soul. In this case, we're talking about marijuana or other drugs. Yep. When it comes to mental health, in most cases, one can be healed simply through grace. Now, 
since he's not Catholic, I was I I, I skipped saying confession because I didn't, didn't want to get into a side argument about that. But you know, while while the power of drugs can simulate spiritual effects, um, actual forgiveness of sin has has been documented to bring about obviously not just spiritual uh, healing because that's it's it's the sacrament it, it it brings your soul back to life it gives you sanctifying grace grace perfects nature but there have been demonstrated cases where people who have been in lives of sin for a long time are physically degrading the spiritual effect of reintroducing grace into the soul leads to a physical restoration as well. I mean, not mm-hmm. immediately. You don't come out of the out, out of the confessional forty five pounds lighter and, and vigorous, but it, it's something that that is um, it's it's apparent in the look in the eye, the 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 pep in the step, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The, what effect what what affects the soul affects the body, and so goodness, we we, we were so we, I give the I give the pitch at the end of the podcast every, every time. Pray for the priests. Without the priest, we don't have this kind of miracle possible. And it is a miracle, not just of, of the spiritual order, which it clearly is. Um, m- many saints have said that forgiving a moral sin for God to bring a soul back to life is a greater miracle than the physical creation of the entire universe. Yeah. So that yeah. that is massive. And every mm-hmm. priest can do that. It's astounding. And I've, I've said that many, many times to many, many priests. And most of them, you can see that they just kind of stop and think about it and you can tell that they've never thought about it in those terms before, but it's true. It's, it's a bigger deal. I mean, just organ organizing atoms is not, is not the same thing as, as bringing a rational intellect that's been cut off from God through sin back into friendship with God. That's, that's just, that's so far beyond it's um, it may, it makes the physical universe in all of its beauty and all of its glory and all of its size it makes it just seem like it makes it seem trivial and well the creation of the physical universe is just going from literally nothing to something but reviving a soul to the state of sanctifying grace is taking a rational being which has turned away from god and restoring friendship with god mm-hmm. that's orders of magnitude way way above simply creating matter yep and as our lord said every hair on your head is numbered you know, if <laughs> you you just don't understand how much you are loved, and um, people, that's the the tragedy of our day is that so very 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 few people. I mean, it's not that that any of us could ever really understand, you know, something as as massive as God's love for us, but most people never contemplate it. Even most Catholics, it's just. They, they just really don't ever sit down and think about how much they are loved by God. And um, I, don't, I don't know how you could pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary without, without doing that, but a lot of people don't. And that's one of the big, big, big problems is that, believe it or not, even though, even though seemingly the problem in our society and our culture is this is pride and narcissism, and, and narcissism and all of these things. Um, ironically, the big problem is that people don't know how much they're loved, and that's the tragedy. And talking about how much God will do for us to save our soul, obviously that brings to mind the the scene of the Quo Vadis, where St. Peter was fleeing Rome and saw the vision of Christ carrying his cross, going back into Rome, and, and Peter's question to, to Christ, Quo Vadis, where are you going? And Christ says, I'm going to be crucified again. Mm-hmm. In order to save your soul, Peter, 
Mm-hmm. He will do that for every single one of us, which it sounds trite to some people to think about that. Would Christ really come back to earth and be crucified again? What yes. do you think is happening at every single mass? In fact, and it's not, I mean, the, the, the sacrifice of Calvary, Calvary is once, once and once and for all, we're not, he's not being crucified over and over and over again. The dynamic is, is one of um, warping the fabric of space and time so that we're physically present at the once for all sacrifice. However, that sacrifice is perpetual and eternal. The, the second person in, in the church triumphant in the beatific vision inside of the Trinity, the second person is perpetually offering himself to God the Father. That's It's a never-ending sacrifice. And yes, it is true that God would, our Lord would incarnate and come back and go through his entire passion and death and all of that suffering again just for you and you alone, and he would do it as many times as you assist at Mass which is why we show up at mass. And if you can go every day, you go every day. Because if he's willing to do that, then you, you need to show up if you possibly can. You absolutely need to show up on Sundays. It's a commandment, hello. Uh, but if you can show up more frequently than that, you should show up as much as you possibly can because he, he's willing to die for you as many times as you show up at mass over the course of your life. And the truth is more than that, you know, because his love for us is, is that incomprehensibly huge. Okay. Slight tangent again, not, not that we never do tangents, but uh, no, never, never. <laughs> so something super mom showed me the other day was a, um, uh, a card called a love letter, but it, it was it was a, a very loving, heartfelt card that I'd given her. I don't even know how long ago it was, but she uses uses it as a bookmark, and every once in a while she'll reread it, and it's like it's like reading it all over again for the first time. Yeah, as, as yeah. the way she said it, 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 that's the way it makes her feel. And I say that to say this: the many saints. It'd be easier to say the saints who didn't say this prominently, and they probably thought it, and probably were saved their souls because of it anyway. The power of meditating on the passion, mm-hmm. read the gospels, read the passion. If it's one thing to say, I, I love you so much, I will give up my life for you. But to do it in such a manner that you are supernaturally sustaining your life beyond what a mere normal human being could, could do to literally give every drop of your blood and be tortured to a degree that no human being could withstand and not die. Yeah. Yeah. Simply to make the point, this is how much I love you. Mm-hmm. And rem- and remember, when when he was going through that, when he's going through his agony in the garden, when he's carrying his cross, when he's hanging on the cross, when he's being nailed to the cross, when he's being scourged, it's it's us that's doing it to him too. That's the other thing. It is it's it's not just that he's being tortured and killed. In general, he's being tortured and killed by the person that he loves most in the world, which is every one of us. Because remember, when you're dealing with the infinite, you know, you can you can make statements like that, that that I am the person that he loves most in the world, and Super Nerd is the person that he loves most in the world, and you, the listener, you're the person that he loves most in the world, because we're dealing with the infinite. So it's it's true. Um, you're the one through your sins who's doing it. So 
it isn't it isn't just that it's happening to him it's who's doing it to him and that's yeah like like super nerd just said it's so it's everywhere throughout throughout the writings and teachings of the saints and the fathers is the passion the passion the passion and when our lord you know has appeared talked like saint catherine of siena and all of these people it's think about my passion if you love me think about my passion just constantly because another reason it's not only the dynamic that that we just talked about but if you think about his passion it makes you, it forces you to think about the incarnation that he's true god and true man and it keeps you it keeps you on the straight and narrow in terms of that whole theological dynamic of who exactly the second person of the triune godhead is and what what his nature is and um you know a lot of people can and this is i mean that dynamic right there is i would say at the root of almost all of the major heresies in the church is that people get off one way or the other you know arians believe that he wasn't divine and these other people over here believe that he was completely divine and the human appearance was just an appearance and uh, and once you get once you mess all that up um you get you get way 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 off the track and the next thing you know those people are committing horrible sins because then the body doesn't matter and blah 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 and um that's i mean look at the creed look at the creed that you say at least every sunday and on many many feast days during the week the the creed the the nicene creed is it's it's discussing the incarnation and our lord's nature and who he is and it took them it took them you know what four centuries to get that completely hammered out pinned down look here it is we've got it articulated and now we're all we're all going to be on the same page because this is the truth and um keep thinking about his passion because that forces you to confront his nature and who he is that he's true god and true man and i think where we got off slightly on this tangent was talking about the mass being that re-representation or that reminder that the the renewal of the sacrifice of calvary um, I kind of hesitate to make this analogy. I believe is the phrase that the church uses. Right. I kind of hesitate to make this analogy, but one of the um, one of the movies, Men in Black, there was a character in there who had the ability to see different points in time or all points. He, he, he could at one point in the, in the movie, he they they encountered this guy at Shea Stadium, and he is able to show them that he can see different points in time. And he's reliving the Mets winning the World Series, whatever year that was. Okay, that's a goofy Hollywood thing. But it really happens at mass. You can't yeah. see it with your eyes. And if you believe you see it with the eyes of your soul. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're at the, you're at the foot of the cross and you're there. Even if, even if it's just a priest saying a private mass and you're kneeling in, in a pew somewhere in the nave of the church, you're, he, the priest isn't, isn't alone. You aren't alone. All of the, literally god only knows how many angels there are i mean quintillions septillions however many there are um they're all there and all of the saints are there every single one of them the ones who are known to the church militant and the ones who are not known by name to the church militant everybody's there and the poor souls in purgatory are longing to be there and um 
we pray for them to to be provided with a bit of of refreshment and relief from their purgation process at every mass so every everybody's there <laughs> there's no such there's no such thing and this is again this is a, such a great this betrays and reveals how how flimsy and awful the theology of the the post-conciliar modern church is you know pra uh, pragmatically speaking on the ground is that they're they're they don't even understand why in the world a priest would offer the holy sacrifice of the mass unless there's an audience there to hear it and it, this was demonstrated during the corona scam um mass imprisonment mass home imprisonment when <laughs> you would you would look at these novus orduists and they're not allowed to have anybody in the church and they're trying to offer these masses, but they don't have an earthly quote unquote audience to play to. And they're just completely thrown. They're completely lost. They don't, they don't know what to do because they've been addressing, you know, since, since December of 1969, they think that the mass is the priest address, addressing the people. And they have no idea that the mass is addressing is the priest addressing God, God uh, that the priest is leading the people in praying and offering the holy sacrifice of Calvary to God the Father, and they you can tell that they just have no comprehension of this at all. That it was the the Corona scam and the and the house imprisonment greatest crime against humanity ever perpetrated by far, and we're going to talk about people having heart attacks right and left and clots this and clots that in a, few, in, in a few minutes. But it did reveal a lot of things. And I hope one of the things that it did reveal, and I think it did to a lot of people, is just the intrinsic absurdity of the Novus Ordo and the lie that the mass is dialogic between the priest and the people on this completely horizontal plane. Um, because like I said, they were trying trying to say mass with nobody there and they just didn't understand why they should even be doing it that's that's the thing they didn't these priests didn't even understand why in the world they should be offering mass if there was nobody there in the nave of the church so yeah well and that's another reason to pray for priests by the way it for all of the Novus Ordo priests who think that and believe that setting aside the question of whether or not they're even validly ordained and that that gets into stuff we're not going to get into at this point in time. The vast majority of them are. Yes. The vast they, majority of them are. They yeah. have the power to pray the mass correctly. They have the power to, to effect the sacraments. They are an altar Christus. Yeah. Any Christ. one of them can, can learn, can learn the venerable rite of Gregory the great at any time. And how many, how many have, have we all met who, started out Novus Ordo, were ordained in the Novus Ordo, and then learned the old mass. And it's just, it's transformative for priests. I remember I met a priest years ago. Um, um, what he, what was he Polish, I think. I think he was a Polish priest. And it was the sweetest thing in the world. He said in his broken English, yes, I, le I learned to pray the old mass five years ago. I was ordained 20 years ago, but I feel like I've only actually been a priest for five years. Now, He'd been a priest for all 20, obviously, but he was making the point that before he learned the, the old mass, he didn't 
in retrospect, he realized he didn't even feel he didn't even feel like a priest in the fullness of it. He didn't realize the gravity of what he was even doing. Um, I had a I just got an email um, yesterday from a person, uh, maybe, uh, well, I doubt any of the listenership except for this person is going to is going to recognize this incident because it happened in a Nova Sordo. Again, they're in a they're in kind of a, a Latin mass uh, desert, and they they've been going to this this um, this Nova Sordo, and of course, the new priest, early fifties. And yes, almost all Novus Ordo priests are jabbed to the gills because of course, anti-Pope Bergoglio is one of the biggest proponents in saying you're morally obliged as a function of charity to go inject yourself with this poison. And you know, these Novus Ordo priests, they're lost and they're, most of them are political leftists. And I will also say it, the, the vast majority of them I mean, I was talking. I was talking to someone about this again today. It's north of eighty percent. North of eighty percent of Novus Ordo priests are either active sodomites or same-sex attracted. So it, they're they're train wrecks internally to start with. Um, of course, they fell for the Corona scam, and of course, they went and got jabbed to the eyeballs. So this priest, in his early fifties, passes out. Um, at the prayers of the faithful. So well before, well before the consecration and uh, tells the Eucharistic monsters, the lay people who hand out the body and blood of our Lord, like, you know, cocktail waitresses, uh, told the Eucharistic monsters to finish the mass. And they did. And I mean, this is just, this is an absolutely unspeakable Speakable sacrilege that happened. So the Eucharistic monsters went up, got into the tabernacle again. Um, laymen, lay women, obviously, the the unordained, which of course means only men, only deacons and priests and bishops, of course, um, can ever not only touch the blessed sacrament, but touch the the sacred vessels that contain the blessed sacrament. None of these people should be getting into the tabernacle. None of these people should be handling a chaborium. None of these people should be handling a chalice. As be that as it may, they so the Eucharistic monsters go up. They get into the tabernacle. They take out. Um, they take out pre-consecrated, as as there almost always are in a, in a tabernacle, pre-consecrated hosts, chaborium filled with pre-consecrated hosts. Okay and then go and start handing handing our lord out and i don't know if they said prayers or, or i don't know what they did but they quote unquote finish the mass as they're wheeling this priest out who has passed out from probably from the jab oh and then they they find out a few hours later as they get a status update well of course he's got the coof and isn't it interesting there's a lot of reportage seeing a lot of um reportage right now within it seems like the the past couple of weeks that all of these jab people are now getting are testing positive for the coof okay who who gets who gets a head cold in the in, at the middle or the end of july and a lot of these people are saying things like you know this is the third time i've tested positive in the last year yeah you know why because you don't have an immune system you have vades that injection fried your immune system and now yeah 
just any old cold can come in and you have no mechanism, especially coronaviridae. You, you have no mechanism with which to fight this. So yeah, you're getting priests passing out because they have a cold in July and, and, and telling the lay people to finish the mass. Someone should have st stood up and said something. That's, that's the thing that's astonishing to me. Nobody in that church, and you've got to think that, you know, there were hundreds of people there present. Not one person in the church, including the priest, had even a basic understanding of, of the mass such that the priest would say something like, finish the mass, and nobody would stand up and say, whoa, 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 stop. Because, because he passed out before the offertory, we have two options here. We can either stop, you do have the option to stop, or you get another priest in there who can pick that mass up and finish it. And if in fact the priest had gotten to the point where he was into the canon, he was into the consecration, let's say he passed out between the consecration of the host and the consecration of the chalice, Okay, you have to, you absolutely 1000% have to summon another priest from somewhere and you sit there and you wait for as long as it takes and another priest has to come in and pick that mass up and finish the sacrifice. You don't, you don't just drop it, you don't just leave it. But because he passed out well before um, the consecration, they did have the option to stop, and that's what they should have done. There should have been somebody there who had even the most basic understanding of, of sacramental theology to say, stop, whoa, no, 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 we're not gonna have lay people finish the mass. We are all now going to kneel down and pray the rosary for Father and make a spiritual communion and then we'll all go home. I mean, th the fact that nobody spoke up just tells you about the dire, dire, dire state of things, not to mention the fact that, you know, the priest himself is just so clueless about something like this that <laughs> tells, tells the, the old women Eucharistic monsters to finish the mass. It's just, it's just astounding, astounding. It can't go on and it won't, it won't, it's, it's, uh, things speed up into the into the end, as they say, and we're we're at a dead sprint at this point. So this stuff isn't going to be going on. But if if anybody in the listenership out there happens to be in a situation where that happens, um, yes, you are morally obliged to stand up and say loudly, "No, this cannot happen. This cannot be permitted. This is a grave sacrilege." So there you go. And speaking of people who collapse because of clots or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, we we have another story about that that just came out today and yeah. it's it's and it, it's a story that happens a lot it's probably getting more play right now because of who the dad of this person is but uh, an 18 year old because you know 18 year olds have heart attacks all the time right sure they do you an 18 betcha. year old who's yeah. on scholarship or i don't know how that works exactly given who this is Who's good, who, who's playing something? Um, I don't I don't know what, the, what exactly the status was, but he he's gonna be supposed to be playing basketball for University of Southern California USC this year. Collapses of a cardiac arrest 
and goes to the hospital, to the ICU. Of course, we were talking about the son of LeBron James. I've, I've got a different first name for him. I don't like LeBron James one bit. Um, I, I think every day that he's on the Lakers is a, an abomination to the Lakers, and I will never acknowledge that he's truly one of the Lakers. But, uh, yeah, it's totally normal now. 18-year-olds just get heart attacks and go to the ICU. Well, and I've been surfing around and looking. LeBron James's 18-year-old son just had a, had a heart attack on the court, and there's hardly any reportage on this. I mean, the New York Post is the one that published it. I, I'm not seeing people, I'm not seeing this anywhere. It seems to me that this is, in fact, being, being shadow censored. I did see it um, on ESPN. You didn't see it on ESPN? No, I did see a link to it on ESPN.com. Oh, okay, okay. It's, it's just astounding. This should be above the fold red headline news. LeBron James's son just had, and they found, they found the, uh, the tweet or whatever, they found the documentation where James said that he, not only was he injected, but his entire family was injected. So we know, we know the lad was injected. Um, just unbelievable. And Nurse Claire made the point. So you read the reportage and they're saying, oh, no, no, it's, it's cool. He was released from the ICU. He's, he's, he's already out of the ICU. And Nurse Claire came on our little private chat group that we have and said, absolutely, no way, don't be fooled by this. 18-year-old boy goes into cardiac arrest. He, if, if he was released from the ICU, what happened is that they transferred him into like the billionaire super duper ICU. And then they're saying, well, he was transferred out of the regular people's ICU, but they're trying to pass it off as if he's fine. And he's just, no, oh, yeah, now he's just, you know, chilling out and recovering in a hospital bed somewhere. No way, man. 18-year-old kid. They probably transferred him from wherever he was to like the UCLA Critical Heart Center, which is one of the best in the world. He just happens to be right there in L.A. Or Cedars-Sinai or something like that. Oh, no, that, that kid is, he's got an army of cardiologists standing over him staring at him 24 hours a day i mean the notion that that oh yeah your son has a heart attack and he can be released from from icu within 24 hours abject nonsense abject nonsense so don't fall for it it's all more gaslighting and and more deception by by the media and like I said, he's not the only kid who's who's having these conditions. If, if you dig in the news, you'll see a lot of stories about it. It's just because of who his dad is, who's, let's be serious, by the way, his dad isn't even the sixth best forward who's ever played for the Lakers. And I heard, I did see one news report that said if, if uh, Bronny's last name wasn't James and he didn't have the lineage he has, he would be at best a two-star recruit. But yeah. because of who his dad is, uh, everybody wanted to offer him NIL offers and treat him like a five-star recruit. So, And the other thing that LeBron James has done is he said over and over and over for years that he it is his life's dream, ambition, and goal right now to play professional NBA basketball on the same team with his son. And so he's what he's kind of doing is he's kind of he's kind of leveraging that with the NBA, et cetera, et cetera, you know, to to keep himself in position, keep himself in play, and then get his son a contract because then he, because LeBron said he would take any pay cut. 
He would go to any team and he would take any pay cut. The only thing that matters is he wants to play with his son. So now what he's done, and this should be, this should be, I mean, illegal in the sense of against, against the rules in terms of, I, I don't know, it, it seems fundamentally dishonest that now here's this young man, Bronny James, who his father has said, if you, if you draft my son, and if you pick up my son and put him on your roster, I will come play for your team at a massive pay cut. That seems, that seems unfair. Because now, I mean, ever no matter how mediocre Brawny James is, the other teams would would want to draft him and want to pick him up. Would even draft him number one because they know that he that his father is going to come with him as a package deal at a very low price. It's just it's dishonest in a certain sense. It's not fair to the other players. However, the point now is is probably mood. I would think kids had kids had a massive heart attack. I mean, can can anybody can any team afford the risk of having him? And can you imagine if if you know he's playing for you and the kid drops dead in the middle of a game and just the optics of that? And I think I think Bronny's career is is probably over. In fact, I hope it is. I hope it is for his own good. Well, even if it's not over, the 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 loss in capacity of what his athletic capacity would be. I said capacity twice there and now three times. The, his his diminishment in ability is such that unless LeBron wants to and his son want to, want to change identity and go for the WNBA, no reasonable NBA GM would take on a health risk like that. Yeah. And by the way, no reasonable GM would take his dad either because his dad tries to play GM all the time and bring in players and get coaches fired. So that's another reason I don't like <clears throat> uh, well, I mean, Elder James. Elder Elder James thinks he's Michael Jordan, and you know Michael Jordan could do things like that. Michael Jordan could be the de facto coach GM, but he didn't. Well, no, he didn't. That was he he changed teams toward the end, but he didn't say I'm only going to go someplace if I can bring five of my uh, of the best players with me, and and um, that that way we can build a, a superstar team because otherwise I can't win a championship by myself. Michael Jordan would have spit in the face of anybody who suggested that he needed anybody else to win a championship other than Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I think, but I think what I'm thinking more about is like the dynamic when he was with the bulls and his dynamic vis-a-vis Phil Jackson. And I mean, it's, 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 you know, five seconds left on the clock in overtime in game seven of the finals. When, when the bulls go into the huddle, Jordan is the one who's calling the play. It's it's not Phil Jackson. Jordan's calling the play. Well, that's typical so. of a lot of star athletes too. I mean, you'll you'll see that in football. Tom Brady called a lot of plays that wasn't called by the by the um, uh, the offensive coordinator. Coordinator, that quarterback in Kansas City just does whatever he wants because nobody. The the, the great thing about that is uh, if 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 the offensive coordinator has no clue what play is coming, the defense sure as heck doesn't because half the time they're just making this up on the fly and reading it. Yeah. So, I mean, star players have that that uh, killer instinct where they say, just put the ball in my hands and I'll make a play. And But that's not saying, I'm going to fire the coach if you don't let me do that. LeBron yeah. gets coaches fired. Yeah. Michael Jordan just says, motivate me. Yeah. And by all appearances, Jordan and Phil Jackson had a very, very good relationship, it seems to me. I, I don't think there was any any terrible tension or anything there, so... 
I think it all worked and it worked for a long time. And think about who else uh, Phil Jackson coached. Uh, Kobe Bryant, who was the same kind of, you know, cutthroat competitor, first in the gym, last out. Um, that, there, there's a story of, of uh, a, a game they had down in Miami where um, Kobe missed a shot at the end. He was fouled. If you look at the, the replay, he was fouled, but he was so angry that he didn't get that shot anyway. He had a couple of the team trainers come with him and, and at the, the arena of Miami after the game goes out and shoots like 400 three-pointers and telling the, the, the trainers to foul him on every one because he wanted to get to the point where even if he's fouled, he can hit the shot anyway. Yeah. And yep. a couple of the uh, players from Miami said, dude, what are you doing, Kobe? You're showing us up in our own house. Get out of here. <laughs> we mm-hmm. don't even work this hard. Get out of here. Yep. Yep. But Phil Jackson, you know, he just you you he had the the he had the good fortune of, of of coaching two of the greatest players ever. LeBron's not in this conversation. No. And and you you guide them, you you give them certain parameters, and and that's actually why uh, coach or why why Jackson left the Lakers is he didn't want to coach over a declining uh, Kobe. It, I don't know if it was painful or it would have been too much of a problem, but um, he wanted he wanted to be remembered, and he wanted to remember Kobe in his prime. So. Yep. That was that. And ironically, that's not actually a tangent off of our notes. It took us the better part of 35 minutes to get to our notes, but we finally did yeah. talking about <laughs> talking about LeBron James's son. And, and uh, yeah, 18 year olds have heart attacks now. Actually, in the last couple of years, now they do. And unfortunately, that's not normal. It's it's not legit. Um, we that, all that's... know exactly. Everyone knows exactly what's going on. And just the longer this goes and the more these people are are, you know, sighing heavily and, and clutching their pearls and saying, why, I just don't understand what's going on. Just, it's just, stop, stop lying. Just stop the lying. We know that you know. Stop the lying. But it just keeps going. And we're not, we're not at the end yet. We're not at the end yet. But, you know, decades and centuries from now, people will look back at this and say, hey, remember that time when the, uh, the oligarchs damn near exterminated the human race? Wow, that, that, and everyone went along with it. it isn't that something, you know? That's literally what, how history is going to read this. Oh, the darker side of looking at that is that we're going hit, to hit a point where we look back and say everyone who went along with it isn't here anymore because they went along with it. Yep. I don't know. We'll see. It's hard to be a human being on this planet when you don't have a functioning immune system and your heart is massively damaged and your blood is clotting right and left. Really tough to be a functioning human being like that. Just oh, a little oh, bit. and also you're sterilized. That too. You know, you've got so many lipid nanoparticles in your in your gonads either your testicles or your ovaries that you can't produce or hold a pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to respond to that part. Exactly. Yeah. That's and that I think that was the ultimate. I think that was the goal from the beginning. I called it. I remember talking to a priest standing outside the front of the church in February of 2020 saying, listen, they are already saying there's going to be a vaccine. The vaccine is coming. The vaccine will be here by the end of the year. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. And I said, it is obvious what this is. And this is February, late February of 2020. It's obvious what this is. This is a mass sterilization program. You mark my words. This is a sterilization program. And that is, 
I, I, to this day, I believe that the sterilization was their primary goal. And just the more they can, uh, they can kill people. And ultimately, I think the, I think the better way to think about it, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, of course we haven't had a podcast in a few months. So, um, it's about, it's basically about actuarial tables and reducing, um, human lifespan by 20 to 25 years. So if you call in the first world, if you call um, average human lifespan 80 years, average between men and women, um, if you can knock 20 to 25 years off of that, that means you knock it back to age 60 or age 55 as the average um, human lifespan. Guess what that means? That means that you never have to pay out social security, Medicare or pensions on any of those people because they'll die while they're still in the workforce. And I think that is another massive objective of what this was. They look at all these unfunded liabilities, the government unfunded liabilities in terms of Social Security and Medicare, and the fact that the pensions have all been raided and the money isn't there. And the oligarchs looked at that and said, We've, we've got to get these people dead before they can even start tapping any of this. And I think that's, that was a secondary objective. Sterilize the young and then reduce life expectancy that, so that you don't have to pay out on any, you know, Social Security, Medicare, any, anything of the like. Well, on the topic of spite and pure evil, mm -hmm. um, do, we, do, do we want to talk about Bud Light? <laughs> well, in, ter in terms of beer in and of itself, yes, it is spiteful and, and pure evil. Bud Light is absolutely spitefully evil, terrible, horrible beer, yes. Uh, but do you want to talk about the trannies and Anheuser-Busch committing suicide and Disney committing suicide and all of these things? Is that is that what you're segueing into? That is what I'm segueing into, it, the, the topic of Anheuser-Busch. Well, in... AB, I think, might have a slightly different um, take on this. I've mentioned many, many times the No Agenda podcast here on this podcast. And if you listen to No Agenda, you would have heard this last Sunday a Barnhart donation. Yes. So thank you to that donor. He also donates here as well. But um, he, uh, the topic of, of the Dylan Mulvaney ad campaign, that is something that at these large corporations, very, very junior people make these decisions. And I, th I think in the case of that particular one, they never even sold cans with that freak's face on it. They made a couple of special, um, maybe a 12 pack or so. I don't know how many, it was a very, very limited run and then sent those to him, her, him. No, to him, him. him. I, I, I caught myself. I, I got it. I got him. Um, they, they sent the cans to him to show on, on social media to try to pr promote Bud Light. They never actually sold this anywhere in stores. But this is something that was such a low-level decision. It could have literally been done by an intern that has now cost the company $20 billion. It's the kind of thing now that, that uh, corporate vice presidents and um, C-suite level people who are over, over the marketing and, and advertising are saying, no more of these attempts at viral ads unless it gets approved at my level. And, and, and the, the, the reason why is clear. I mean, somebody very low level who's very woke, as many young people are, thought this would be kind of funny. We'll, we'll send the, this this uh, special version of a can out. I mean, they do this all the time well, it for was other a woman. things, too. It was, in Anheuser-Busch, it was a woman. And she was, she was the vice president of marketing for Bud Light. That's who and took the, it, that's who took the fall for it. 
Was mm-hmm. it was it really her idea, or did they say the buck stopped with her? No, it was her idea. It was her idea. And um, but the th- the thing of it is, is what's getting a lot of play right now, and people are discussing it in secular spaces, and they're they're missing it. They're absolutely missing it. Okay, in the heat of all of this Dylan Mulvaney fallout, when they're, I mean, their market share is just down every single week, year over year, their market share is down between 25 and 30% every single week. And it kept, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, then they, they double down and they're like sponsoring pride events and all this stuff. Disney is another example of this. Disney just keeps, you know, putting the nine millimeter in its mouth and, and blowing its brains out over and over and over again. And you would think that, you know, after you've lost the first half a billion dollars because of because of your your decisions and your and your political ideological situations, that if money were the motivator, that you would stop doing these things and you would, you know, try to walk it back and and get your content back to where it was appealing to, you know, 99% of the populace who don't want to see or have anything to do with sexual perversion. But no, they just keep doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down. And people in the secular spaces cannot get their heads around this because they think that the money is what is motivating, is the prime motivator of these people, and it's not. And in in order for the people in the secular space to acknowledge this dynamic, they have to acknowledge the supernatural. They have to acknowledge the existence of God and therefore acknowledge the existence of the preternatural, specifically the demonic side of the preternatural. The motivator um, for the people at the very top who are making these these just unbelievably suicidal decisions is is demonic spite. It's spite. Pure and simple. They want to just burn the world to the ground, including themselves. Think about demons. All you have to do is just stop and consider a demon. The demon knows that he's going to hell, that he is irredeemable, that he there's no walking it back. He the demon knows that he will never see God, he will never have the beatific vision. And, and he won't change his mind on that either. It's an no. act of a pure intellect who said non serviam. And it's if a demon could flip a middle finger to God, he would never take it down. That's right. That's right. And so not all and so because of that the animating force of the demons is spite. They, they're, not, they're not driving towards anything because they're already locked in. They're eternally locked in. So what is going on? Why, why are they prowling throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls? Spite, 1,000% pure, refined, unadulterated spite. And this is all covered in my diabolical narcissism um, presentation because diabolical narcissism is when a human being essentially voluntarily adopts the, the spiritual posture of the demons 
by voluntarily purging charity from their souls. Um, and so what, what is driving diabolical narcissist human beings to do the, the things that they do, which so often involve self-sabotage or what appears to be self-sabotage? It's, it's all spite. The whole motivator here is spite. And if you think that the, that the top motivator in all of this is money, then as, as you look at what's going on with these corporations, and also, same, same exact argument, the anti-church. Look at the anti-church. Just not too long ago, um, in, during our interstitial period, during our hiatus, when I was waiting for Wi-Fi, I believe that during that interstitial period, there was an event at the, yes, I know it was, because it was the weekend of the Feast of Corpus Christi. It was the Saturday. Um, you know, Corpus Christi, real Corpus Christi is on Thursday. Um, and then, you know, the Novus Ordo, Ch Ordo Church celebrates it, pushes it to Sunday, uh, because heaven, heaven forfend, anybody should go to mass more than once a week, you know. Um, but it was in the Saturday of that Corpus Christi weekend, long weekend. And they had a, an explicitly Freemasonic event on the front steps of St. Peter's Basilica, they had the entire St. Peter's Plaza set to, they were expecting tens and tens of thousands of people. They had tens of thousands of chairs set up for this ridiculous, completely secular, gay, it, I mean, they had, they had an openly gay, Ball, male ballet dancer doing an erotic interpretive dance. It was clearly an homage to pride, to the June, you know, which actually should be called shame, uh, shame month for the sodomites. They had, I don't know if it was a train, I never could figure out if it was, if it was a cross-dresser or if it was a woman who stood on the front steps of St. Peter's Basilica on that Saturday afternoon and screeched somewhere over the rainbow. Hello, rainbow, as in pride rainbow, you know, as in Judy Garland, the uber fag hag of all time, um, the mascot of, of, of sodomites. It was, it was a Freemasonic, sodomitical, shame month event. There were 250 people there. There were so few people that you could literally look at a photograph taken of, of St. Peter's Plaza. You could look at a photograph of that and count, easily count the people there. There were 250 people there. Uh, that, you know, they keep doing like anti-Pope Bergoglio keeps doing, pushing this uh, synod and synodality and, and all this. And, Nobody participates in any of this. Nobody takes any of this seriously. Um, after the Corona scam, lots of the Novus Ordo parishes just lost a massive percent of their of their churchgoers. Some some people apostatized and just stopped going to mass altogether. Some people started going to the traditional Latin mass. That's great, but yeah, I mean the, the churches are standing empty. There's, uh, I think somebody told me the Roman seminary has one, one new seminarian, as in the seminary for the Diocese of Rome has, I think, one new seminarian this year. 
um, like Ireland didn't ordain anybody last year. I mean, things like this. Well, a lot of their young people are getting cardiac arrest from the coof now. Indeed, indeed. Uh-huh. But the whole thing, the anti-church is in complete collapse. And you sit there and look at that and people people are still saying, well, I just don't understand. Why, why doesn't the Vatican see this? The Vatican does see this. The bishops do see this. It's the objective. They're celebrating it. They're celebrating it. It's the objective. Their plans are coming to fruition. Their plans are coming together. I just, and there's still people, even in the trad Catholic press, who are looking at this and saying, I just don't understand. The motivator is spite. They don't want the church to be a success. They ultimately want to basically hand the Vatican over to the United Nations as a World Heritage Site, and all it would be is a museum. Yeah, well, just yeah. You don't need to tear St. Peter's down. You don't need to. You don't need to destroy the the Vatican museums. No, you don't need to do that. Just turn the whole thing into a World Her Heritage Site museum, and people can just come in and walk around. And oh, isn't this interesting? Back back when there was a Catholic Church, that's what they want. And I, I it just mystifies me still that there are still people who. They just, I think they willfully refuse to process this. They willfully refuse to acknowledge this, that they just don't understand how it could possibly be that these uh, sodomitical, many of them pedophilic bishops aren't, aren't devout Catholics who are trying to get the church back into a state of glory. Like, uh, wh what, what is it going to take? What do they have to do? I mean, at, at a certain point, I mean, at this point, you could almost even argue that that Bergoglio has said things that make this explicit. He has said that it is a mortal sin to convert someone from Eastern Orthodoxy to, to Catholicism. He has said that proselytism of any kind is a sin. He has said that the great commission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to go out and baptize all nations and preach preach the gospel is a sin I, I i what what does he have to do i i i don't understand i mean that's that's just about as explicit as you can get so i i don't know dismount soapbox okay and that's what happens when i mute myself and <laughs> forget that i muted myself um so what I had said while I was muted is that um, I was half listening to what you were saying because I was because you made a pitch perfect tempo perfect um, represent or, or, or redo of the I just don't understand and and I know that 150 shows ago um, you made a, a a comment like that and so I was looking for it so I could drop it in and play it and I was going to try to surprise you with that maybe next time maybe next time <laughs> but in terms of or, the church um, or as the the outro you know the the Easter egg outro so. Or I could put it in the front, and then that would confuse people. Except oh. now that I'm talking about now, I just said that it's not in the podcast, so they would know that. I got to pick, pick something else now. <laughs> but no, but with with regard to the church, you wrote you wrote a blog post on this. They don't believe it. No, that, they don't. That's believe why any they're of running it. everything yeah. into the ground. But when it comes to a company like Disney, 
Um, I, I talked with a friend of mine who's a gigantic Star Wars fan, like like I am, and and one of the the topics I bring up with them is like, why is there not a a shareholder revolt? Why are they not suing the entire board of, of yeah. Disney for driving this into the ground? And one of the things he replied is, well, who owns the stock? Isn't it BlackRock? BlackRock, exactly, exactly. Well, although Disney's in a in a spot right now where they are contractually obligated to buy Hulu. And they don't have the money to do it right now, the free capital. They yeah. are literally looking at selling off parts of, of the company, uh, including ESPN apparently might even be on the, the chopping block. Um, there's there's rumors that there's a investor from the from the Middle East, some kind of oil baron type who who's willing to put eight billion dollars out there to buy Lucasfilm because he grew up a Star Wars fan and wants to acquire that and hopefully fix it. But uh it's about seven billion nine hundred million too high. I would think. Well, yes, and the, I think Industrial Light and Magic probably still has value, but the rest of it, Kathleen Kennedy has completely, spitefully, because she's demonic, she has completely spitefully destroyed all of it. Yeah, and the 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 rumor is that she's got contract or clauses in her contract that she can't even be fired for cause, but she can be fired for doing something illegal or harming the Disney image. And apparently she is on um, involuntary leave right now. And uh, forensic accountants are going over the books. And uh, the, the rumors are that they're going to be able to show that she's doing illegal bookkeeping and then fire her, which means she won't get any pensions or, or royalties or anything. She'll just be done at that point. But hey, you know, her husband, Frank Marshall, can take care of her. And she's, what, 70, 75? She yeah. doesn't need more money from Disney. Exactly. Uh, well, maybe maybe one good thing will come out of the complete and total rape and destruction of the Indiana Jones milieu, um, or oove, I should say. Um, I've, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> YouTube really, really can be interesting. The, uh, there are some incredibly high quality critique videos of basically anything, anything you're curious about, any movie that you don't want to see, but you're curious about, or um, TV shows or anything like that. There are some incredibly sophisticated and really well done critique videos of all this stuff. So, you know, I watched a couple of the critique videos of um, of the Indiana Jones abomination and just absolutely stunning, absolutely stunning what she did. And oh, I just don't understand. It's spite. It's spite. She wants to Kathleen Kennedy wanted to destroy Star Wars. She wanted to destroy everyone's childhood, everyone's happy memories, all of the characters, all of the men, and then do exactly that. She did exactly the same thing to Indiana Jones. It was a complete character assassination of childhood hero, of a, good, a goodly percentage of the post-Christian West. And oh, the one the one that's happening now, I've watched a couple of critique videos now. Apparently there was some movie that looked like a children's movie about Barbie. Apparently this movie is one of the most thoroughly evil, satanic, misandrist screeds that has ever, ever existed. Misandry is um, the opposite of misogyny. It's the, it's the, um, the hatred of men as, as an entire sex. It is, it is a, just a full-throated, full-throttle attack on men qua men. And, all of the, and it looks like a children's movie. And a lot of these parents have taken their little girls to this. 
and they're saying this this thing is so toxic that this thing is literally probably doing generational type damage to both little girls and little boys because it's teaching little girls to to just absolutely hate and despise um, males and it's teaching boys to hate and despise themselves so i mean it's it's trying to recruit more diabolical narcissist feminists and more diabolical narcissist um, homosexuals in in terms of young boys and it, i mean the homosexuality will also will also spill over into the females because think about it if you've been if you've been taught to hate men um we've seen this amongst the ranks of feminists from the very beginning the whole thing is founded and infiltrated and perpetuated by female sodomite sex perverts lesbians so it's it's just a giant recruiting film for what is it what is it that was prophesied a complete and total war against marriage and family yeah i i think that's pretty much what it is so stay away from that that's not a kathleen kennedy thing but it's all of the same piece all of these these unqualified women and i saw this when when i was a commodity broker 25 years ago the company we worked uh, for a company and it was the big clearing firm in chicago and they came into our office and they were you know, giving their pitch and oh look at how great we are and they had they had made this woman um like senior vice president she was she was c-suite she was given tremendous authority within the company and oh look at this look at we have this woman who's a senior vice president and and isn't this wonderful and i'm sitting there saying okay what are your qualifications and you know she had a she had a degree in french literature or something like that completely unqualified totally unqualified but we were all expected to ooh and ah because they had given this woman a massive position of power even though she had zero qualification to be doing it and I, this 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 isn't cool this is a kind of a recipe for disaster if you're making these kind of really bad personal personnel decisions now where do you think you're going to be 10 years from now as you know all of everything changes and everything's evolving and and your priority is to put completely unqualified women in positions of power just for the sake of doing it it's it's not good it's not good so I does mean, that person work at lucasfilm now <laughs> wouldn't surprise me wouldn't surprise me at all so I, I looked up the uh, the daily or the the numbers right now uh the barbie movie is at 188 million as of july 24th so that would be yesterday mm -hmm. which is a lot uh, i don't know what the budget was it, it probably still needs to double that to make money Oppenheimer hasn't broken a million yet. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, that was supposed to be the big blockbuster this this summer. It's only mm -hmm. at 120. Sound wow. of Freedom, I don't know if we do we talk about that movie at all. It's at 127 and it's still making more money per per screen than Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning and everything else except Oppenheimer and Barbie right now. Wow. Wow. And that was well, a, that was a movie that that uh, was was going to be distributed by Fox, but Fox was acquired by Disney, and Disney said, "No, we're not doing that." And another fun part about that is the the movie was done six years ago, 
like ready to yeah. go into cinemas six years ago. Yep. Um, you know what didn't exist six years ago? QAnon. Yep. But if you look online right now, Sound of Freedom is a QAnon movie. Um, that that's interesting. That Isn't that's like that saying somebody from the from 1985 is anti LeBron James. Indeed, indeed, exactly. Um, my theory with regards to Mission Impossible is that Tom Cruise has started doing the plastic surgery face mutilation. And I think people are just, it's creepy to look at him. I don't think people want to go to, go to a movie and look at someone who has clearly mutilated their face. So the, the irony of you one. saying that though, for, for Mission Impossible, one of the, one of the recurring themes in that movie is somebody wearing a prosthetic face mask that looks like somebody else entirely. Mm -hmm. So for Tom Cruise to do that thing surgically to his face in the movie or as himself is kind of ironic if, if that's what turns off audiences, because that's a running thing in these movies. But it's different when he's actually doing it. It's not a mask. He's actually going and getting himself injected with fillers and it looks like he's had his face cut on, he's puffy, he doesn't, he doesn't look like himself anymore. And so when someone doesn't look like themselves anymore, it's, it's intrinsically disturbing. It's very disturbing to look upon a mutilated face, especially a face that has been voluntarily mutilated, um, most especially a face that's been voluntarily mutilated. So he's gonna end up, Cruz is gonna end up exactly like the dread strumpet Madonna Ciccone, who's, uh, it, She's almost killed herself. Um, sh she is so mutilated, and I called that. I called that years ago. She is going to turn into basically Michael Jackson, and she she will not age gracefully. And she is she is proving me right. I said it years ago. She'll end up dead just like Michael Jackson. She will kill herself with all of that mutilation and all the drugs and painkillers that you have to take to support all of that. Um, Tom Cruise is going down that, that line too. I mean, it's just, you just keep ticking them off. These Hollywood people, they get into their forties and the next thing you know, you see a picture of them and it's, oh my gosh, what has he or she done? Um, and it's it's revolting to morally sane people. So I could see I could see uh, Madonna killing herself. Uh, Michael oh, yeah. Jackson was murdered, but but uh, we can get to that in another podcast. Tom Cruise, the size of his ego, I could see him going out doing one of these dangerous stunts. Apparently, one of the things he did on this movie was some um, motorcycle jump into a free fall parachute thing, mm -hmm. which uh, he insisted. Uh, for the, for the to make the insurance people on, and everyone else on the on the, the involved with the production of the movie, he insisted that fil that scene be done first. So, so just in case he, died, he didn't yeah. just in case he didn't make it, that they don't waste all the rest of the time and money on the on the rest of the film. I I could see him wanting to go out with his boots on in an egotistic manner and um, perhaps rigging something. Maybe not rigging it, but just taking too much of a chance and dying. And it's also an interesting concept or in interesting thought. Uh, you talk about he does not or the, the, the review is that he just doesn't look good in Mission Impossible where he's doing all of his own stunts, as opposed to Top Gun Maverick where he looked fine in that one, but he he's not allowed to do all his, his own stunts in that one. He's not allowed to fly. He's he's backseat in those F-18s. They, they can try to fake and make it look like he's flying, but he's he's just pantomiming for all of that. And but it that, looked, it that's fine. another one that was recorded years ago. It was it was recorded before Top Gun was recorded before the Corona scam, because he because 
Cruz said, this has to be released in movie theaters. This cannot be released in a streaming situation. It was supposed to come out June of 2000. And I, I know that because the... Um, 2020, you mean? Yeah. 2020, yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the, the even number year. Um, because one of the one of the highly critical uh, YouTube film reviewers that that uh, I saw had a breakdown of, of the the trailer that had came out during during the uh, Super Bowl in 2018 or 2019 saying this is coming out um, June of, of 2020 and he's saying this looks like an awesome movie we were we were not expecting this to come out and I hope it's really as good as as, as the trailer looks mm-hmm. so yep that's true that that was a few years ago but still we're talking about five years maybe it, 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 it was done a lot well, soon. Well, once it was they done... start with the plastic surgery, it goes fast, man. It, once they start, it's a very slippery slope into hideous monstrosity. I'll take your word for it. I don't, I don't study celebrity faces that closely. I'm not saying you do, but I'm, I'm just saying that I'd, I'll take your word for it. Well, looking over the notes, um, let's see. We covered LeBron James. Um we covered the the priest who who uh, collapsed during the mass. Um, oh, there was talking about the the long time that we were between podcasts. You saw the news that there was uh, the discovery of an incorrupt in the diocese of Kansas City. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think I made a blog post about it. Um, I waited a while because I wanted to see um, if if she had been um, embalmed. And she had not, and that's huge. That's huge, huge. Um, wow, a human body that hasn't been in, embalmed four years, there should be almost nothing left, basically. And she looks, she looks great. And um, I think, I think graces are coming to the uh, the Benedictines there in in Gower, Missouri, which is just kind of outside of Saint Joseph in the middle of nowhere up there in Northwest Missouri. So, super cool, super cool. Something I heard is that uh, when she was exhumed and they discovered that she was incorrupt, also her habit was incorrupt as well. They didn't redress her. And what's interesting about her story is that she refused to, to, um, during during all the changes of of after Vatican II, to take off the habit, put on civilian clothes, to, to make changes and whatnot. And what I heard, I didn't see it, but what I heard is that not only was her habit incorrupt essentially which shouldn't happen fabric should have should have rotted away but all of the fabric on the inside of the coffin that was touching her 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 habit stayed incorrupt all all the the fabric on the inside of the coffin that wasn't touching it was gone just degraded like like it should have yeah uh normally speaking so in terms of a a a massive miracle um if you live in the midwest anywhere close to kansas city that's i guess you got you You've got an incorrupt uh, saint you can go visit now. I don't even know where the next closest would be. We we, we don't have a lot of incorrupts in the United States. No. Mm-mm. Not that we know of. Um, but, but Well, true. Not that, that we know of. But if you go to France, about every other corner, you can find a shrine to an incorrupt saint. Mm-hmm. But the thing that about... Um, um, Sister Mother Wilhelmina, she's the foundress. So she's a co-foundress of Gower. So I think... I think it's appropriate to refer to her as as mother. In fact, somebody told me that all Benedictine um, all Benedictine nuns were were referred to as mother back in the day. But um, she didn't start out as a Benedictine. It's really interesting. She started out in an order that I believe was based out of 
it's Pennsylvania. I can't remember if it's Pittsburgh or or Philly, but um, it's it's an order of black nuns, and their their charism, one of their main charisms, was running um, orphanages for black children, and so she started out as um, in that community, and then they all just completely collapsed um, with Vatican II. And so she cut out of there and um, became Benedictine and then eventually founded, co-founded the, the wonderful monastery at Gower, Missouri. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it's super cool. It's another example of, of things that people did. And um, apparently they were just the kids, the children who grew up in those orphanages, a lot of them weren't necessarily orphans. Their parents weren't both dead. Um, it would be things like maybe a single mother came on, on hard times and couldn't afford to keep her child or children with her. And they would place, they had the option of placing their children temporarily in orphanages. And then they, could, they would go visit them. I mean, the parents would come and visit. And then the children got to live in this, frankly, a lot of them, the, when you read about the people who lived in these orphanages and were raised in them, that it was just idyllic, that these sisters absolutely loved those children. They raised them well. They taught them um, all kinds of skills. They taught them how to basically run a, a small farmstead they educated them wonderfully um, and that they set them up for success in life and that ch that people who grew up in these orphanages that they they report that it was just it was a wonderful childhood and it was a gift and then at a certain point you know a lot of them had so many skills by the time they were 14 15 and it was time and it was time to move out that they could go back live with their parents and you know get get jobs and be apprenticed and they had I mean, they had a better education than most kids in in private school now have in the first world reading writing arithmetic and all kinds of practical knowledge carpentry skills like I said, running, running a farmstead. So you get all kinds of practical skills, learning how to cook, learning how to operate in a kitchen, just amazing. And so again, that's something that we're going to have to do. There's going to be a lot of orphans. We hope, <laughs> we hope that there will be children still being born in the future, but orphanages are another thing that, you know, the liars said, well, no, you can't have orphanages anymore. We're just going to, any child is who, you know, doesn't have parents or is put up for adoption or whatever, we're just going to sell them. We're going to sell them to sodomites. We're going to sell them to, to child molesters. It's basically human trafficking at this point. One of the things that we'll need to do in order to, speaking of, uh, of the movie about the child trafficking, one of the things that you do to stop child trafficking, believe it or not, is reestablish orphanages. Um, so interesting, interesting tie together there. Bring us back around to the topic of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we had all these uh, monasteries and convents able to support all of this? I mean, just yeah. just from a even if you're an unbelieving atheist, the fact that you could hand this off from from the the public dole on the taxes to to people who are doing this literally for free. Yeah. Just yep. just 
donate enough to them to be able to pay pay their their um <laughs> their their needs. They're doing this not for any reward in this world. And and um I, I and think then you don't need income taxes because people voluntarily tithe to the church and and other charitable organizations who do these things. People have disposable income. They then have the ability to tithe to the church and give to give to charitable organizations that do all these things. This notion that everybody has to be taxed at you know sixty percent so that the government can do or or as we were talking about with the case of the mentally ill not do anything um this is this is just absolutely satanic the society works if you just get the government as much out of the way as you possibly possibly can subsidiarity talk about going back into the old the deep archives and talking about old concepts that i've been talking about online for over 15 years subsidiarity a huge one Huge, huge, huge. More religious, less taxes. I think we can all drink to that. Amen. And on that, I think we can wrap it up too. Finally, we have a wrap up on a happy note. Yes. <laughs> it's hey. taken a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or ideas for other good items that we can wrap up the podcast on. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. There's at least one traditional Catholic Latin mass said every single day for all the benefactors. And every single week, there's a traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everybody who died in the previous week. I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Please pray for the priests, uh, the ones who who are faithful to, to, the, to the mission already, those who are technically priests and don't realize what they can do yet. Yeah, pray exactly. for them to wake up and, and, and realize what their power is and, and, and become faithful to that. Um, we priests have incredible power, but if they don't use it, um, and, and, and they don't help souls, it's, it's as good as not having priests. So please pray for them as well. And, uh, please pray. Oh, don't, don't forget in your prayers, um, to invoke St. Tiny princess, uh, or the unofficial, uh, patron, or I guess we could say official patron of the, official, of the podcast. Totally official. Yep. <laughs> um, we got another testimonial this last week from somebody. Um, oh, a tiny testimonial. Yeah. Yes, we what did. Do you, what do you um, have? Let me look at my email real quick. So I thought it came in by email. Um, oh, yes. Um, hi, Ann and Super Nerd. Yesterday I was listening to the podcast, uh, waiting for my children to swim me. Oh, this is this is right. Um, somebody prayed to Saint Tiny Princess that her her um, her their child, who's I guess competing in a swim meet, um, could improve. Um, and, and apparently cut 7.7 seconds off their event time, which is huge. Wow. So that, that's, I mean, okay. So something I, I thought about replying to this person, but I figured I'll wait to the podcast to mention this. Um, I'm not saying pray to St. Tiny Princess for all swimming related matters, but she was born in the water, like all of her siblings, except for one. So there's cool. something to be said for <laughs> praying to her for aquatic related things. <laughs> Outstanding. So yes, don't don't forget to call on her. Uh, we can't say she's an, a, a universal patron, but um, if you listen to the podcast, I think it might apply. So yes, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value out of this, whether it's entertainment, education, or anything else, and you'd like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information about that. And it, it was so long since our last full podcast. I I want to re-recognize everybody I mentioned on the, on the last podcast because it was so short. 
um, via the mailbox had an anonymous donor, um, which may have been a James. We don't know. Um, and I say that because we also had Rick, um, mm-hmm. who was, mm-hmm. who was, who was pitching in for a possible Rick James donation. I can't say for sure whether or not that really happened. Uh, regular donor, Steven, and then a different donor, Steven, uh, who also had a St. Tiny Princess story, um, barbecue Paul, and then Kenneth who sent the donation and, 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 um, furthering the efforts. I apologize to whoever sent the donation that is in the mailbox right now. I, I called the mail drop location and they said there was something there and I didn't go get it before the podcast because it was just that busy tonight. So I apologize. We'll, we'll get you on the next podcast. Um, and we're back in business, so it's not going to be another three months until the next podcast. So. No, it, it, yeah, the, the the new internet connection works, and uh, yeah, we're we're back off like like nothing ever 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 changed. I mean, we, we were thirty five minutes in before we really got to our outline for tonight, so we're we're back in stride already. Ah, uh, um, podcasting, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> something, something like that. As, as, as long as the chain doesn't fall off, yeah, it's like riding a bike. Indeed. <laughs> uh, via Amazon, that's actually, we're sh- I, I shut down the Amazon donation now. Uh, Cesar was the last one to do it through the normal means, and then an, an, an anonymous donor sent the, a, an Amazon donation uh, through the uh, unusual means. And the reason why is because uh, set up a new... Uh, means of being able to donate using a debit card, credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, all the different stuff, um, almost all the different stuff. I shouldn't say literally everything works. The very first donor who donated that way said, please keep me anonymous. So definitely keeping you anonymous. And then there was a semi-anonymous M who was the second one who sent an in the morning donation. Then there was John and then Claude who said Ora Pranavis. And then new since the last mini podcast, Carlos sent in a donation Saying, I'm glad to hear Anne sounding the alarm against sodomy again, like in the good old early days of the podcast, but the audio sucked on this last one. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. But mm-hmm. I think we have it fixed now, Carlos. I think it's up to the the standards of where I'd like, like it to be, and hopefully that's good enough uh, for everyone as well. And I also want to thank an, an attempted international donor. Uh, somebody tried to send a donation through, and the service I'm using should work in their country. Um, it, the, the service I'm using is supported in like 47 different countries. Um, I'm sure there are people listening where it's not supported. Um, if you're listening in, in Uzbekistan, just send me an email. That, that, that's that's good enough. Um, if for some reason you're, you try to make a, a donation and it doesn't work, prayers are great too. Yeah. That, that's the, yeah. the metaphysical exchange rate on that is a lot better than paying for for web hosting or or podcast hosting or things like that. During so. the June um, subscription drive, which again, thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody for that. Um, it's, it's a reminder that, you know, I use continue to give that's my platform for donations. And I think continue to give is, is only set up to work in the U S Canada and the UK. Um, so anybody, anybody outside of basically the, the major Anglosphere, uh, it might not go through it's it, in fact, it probably won't. And if it doesn't like super nerd just said, prayers <laughs> just just uh, just just offer up an ave and 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 it's cool and i'm eternally eternally grateful for that really truly well the service i'm using like i said 47 different countries all the 17i spy countries uh switzerland israel and a whole bunch of other places too japan i don't know about china it's it should have been supported based on what i thought so there, there's something else in play i don't know the, one of the things that came to mind it, it that's probably overreaction at this point, but could there already be social credit score involved? <laughs> and Wouldn't saying, surprise You're me donating to those people? Yeah. Nope, we're denying it. I don't know. I it, I don't 
I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek for the time being. Uh, if it's true, we'll find out later. But for the time being, I'm not actually believing that. But I, again, thank you to all the donors uh, that helps keep this podcast paid for and running Anne's website up and going and the other projects I'm working on, some of which I will mention in more detail as I get those back up and going uh, in the near future. And at this point, I turn it over to Anne for Matthew 1720. Prayer every day, fast twice a week if you can, because the only way you can get rid of demons like Bergoglio is through prayer and fasting, as our Lord said, um, that Bergoglio be public, publicly um, recognized and removed as being an anti-pope, and that the whole Bergoglian anti-papacy be completely nullified that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope from April 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself, for its integrity, its, its continuance, and that God's will be done in terms of um, filling this, this uh, set of Acante that we're in that's now 200 and some days old, and, or interregnum, as you, if you would like to call it that. Um, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger. Our Lady of Copacabana, pray for us. Saint Anne, pray for us. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Uh, podcasting. It's like riding a bike.